Well, before we get started this morning, I thought we could have a bit of a PowerPoint show to get our thoughts into gear. So, so some inspirational quotes there. Um, there's laughter. I wonder why that is. Actually, I know why that is. Um, but what do those quotes highlight to you? Did you find them inspirational? Why or why not? Yeah, the tiger quote um, drew a bit of a gasp or a bit of laughter. And really my simple explanation or illustration that I'm drawing from this slideshow is uh, something that's fairly well understood, isn't it? Is that uh, if a messenger doesn't display their message, doesn't line up with their message, we'll often just write that message off, won't we? This is, of course, a a general life truth. If I'm always struggling to make ends meet and often seen gambling, are you going to book me in to speak at your investment conference as the keynote speaker? Probably not. How about if I just move from one romantic relationship to another, to another, to another? Are you going to come to me for counsel when you're having problems in your long-term relationship? I'd say probably not. If I always wore daggy clothing in public, would you come to me for fashion advice? Of course, Maz still married me anyway. But, but I did notice my original wardrobes very mysteriously disappeared over the years. So, if you're a messenger and you have a message, how you live as a messenger is going to be how that message was received. If I have a message but my life is completely inconsistent with that message as a messenger, I'll make that message not credible, won't I? So how about you? Do you live a life of integrity, authenticity, consistency? Are your beliefs reflected in your life throughout the week? Do you say one thing but do another? So if I'm, if I'm there with you at your stressed out time at work, if I'm there with you in the car when someone cuts you off in peak hour traffic, if I'm there with you as you have a conflict with your partner or a friend, if I'm there with you as you're raising your kids, if I'm there with you uh, at church, do I see the same story? Do I see the, see the same picture? Easy for me to ask the questions of course. Um, but I have asked myself the same question. Have I got integrity? I wasn't picked to give this message because I was uh, ranked in my integrity of all the other speakers that the church possibly could have had and they, I came out tops and so they said, Rob's the man. Um, do I have integrity? Am I the same on Monday as the same I am as I sit here on a Sunday morning? Am I the same with my family? Am, am I the same when I'm conflicting with Maz? The answer, the simple answer, is not always. I want to be, I want to be a godly father. I want to be the kind of father that JJ, when he's asked the question in 30 years' time, do you know someone with integrity? He'll say, yeah, Dad. I want to be the kind of husband that Maz says, if she's asked, who's your inspiration uh, for living a Christ-like life? She says, Rob is. Not for the sake of me getting a big name or me being great, but that I genuinely want consistency 
between what I believe, what I read in the Bible and what I experience in my life. I don't want it to be a mismatch. But if you're like me, sometimes it's a a daily battle. There might be areas um, that you do quite well at. I don't think I've ever held a grudge that I could think of against anyone in this whole church community, apart from Maz. (laughs) And I've been here for three years. I don't think I've ever held resentment against some, something that someone's done against me. So, okay, that's a, maybe a strong area for me. But I can think of dozens of areas where I'm not so strong, where I'd love to be a lot more faithful, a lot more consistent, a lot more lined up between what I read in the Bible and, and how I live. So today, where, wherever you sit with integrity, wherever you sit in terms of the consistency of what you believe and how you live, we're going to find some encouragement in Second Thessalonians chapter, oh sorry, First Thessalonians chapter two. So if you can open it up with me, we'll read it together. Reading from First Thessalonians, page one one six nine in the Pew Bibles. First Thessalonians chapter two. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not not trying to please men but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men but as it actually is, the word of God which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea which are in Christ Jesus You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. If you can remember from uh, first. Thessalonians chapter 1. The letter starts 
the letter to the Thessalonians starts with strong praise and thanks, doesn't it? This chapter 2 seems to be almost, am I reading the same letter? In chapter 1 we read that the Thessalonians were this model community, a young church community. Um, They hadn't been saved for long but they were models for not just their own congregation but to other churches in the area. These were people who genuinely turned from idols uh, and their pagan beliefs to Christ and embraced him and were living godly lives in their community despite the fact that they were heavily persecuted for it, despite the fact that Paul had only been with them, um, strengthening and growing their community for a short time. So why is Paul defensive? Why all of a sudden from going from this um, praise and thanks and um, satisfaction with the church community, why is he defensive? We're not told um, explicitly why, but we do know that Paul had plenty of enemies wherever he went and uh, Thessalonia was no exception. Uh, In Acts 16 and 17 uh, we read that Paul's main enemies in Thessalonia uh, were, were Jewish leaders. They were jealous. They saw their followers converting to uh, follow Christ instead, uh, becoming Christians. So they did a rent a mob from the local marketplace, stirred up trouble, um, dragged people from their houses. They didn't just do that uh, physical threat, that was probably just the tip of the um, iceberg. I suspect they probably used their uh, political power, financial power, business connections, all to make life pretty tough for these Thessalonians. And Paul, throughout his letters to the Thessalonians, encourages them to stick by their faith despite the trials and suffering they're going through. But these uh, jealous Jews also attacked Paul's credibility. So they wrote fake letters. We see that in 2 Thessalonians. They undermined Paul's teachings. They accused him of false motives and of being little more than a self-serving and cunning liar. That's a good strategy if you've got this young church community. As bad, as bad ideas go, this is quite a good bad idea. Uh, undermine the church leader. Um, the church has had this inspirational, foundational leader, Paul the Apostle and Silas and Timothy, come through, set up the church, but it's pretty young. If we can just knock the feet out of, uh, from under Paul, if we can discredit him publicly, if we can throw enough mud at him so that some of it will stick we can probably just um, pull the life out of this church community and take things back to the status quo that we've had in Thessalonia. So getting back to our starting point this morning of a messenger and their message, what about Paul? Does he live consistently with his message? His enemies are looking for any chinks in his armour that they can use to discredit him and destroy the faith of these young believers. Will they have success? Is Paul the kind of person that preaches well on a Sunday, has all the right words but on Monday morning he's anything but um, a godly example. Well we'll find the answer to this as we look through um, the passage this morning and I might add that uh, while it looks like Paul launches into this defence in in, uh, chapter 2 here it it seems that he is positioning himself for it in chapter 1. Timothy had come back to him with a report the Thessalonians are going great but there's threats, threats from these jealous Jews, possibly from others. Um, 
you need to defend your ministry. It's under attack in Thessalonia. So in chapter 1, verse 5, we saw the first hint. And this is Paul in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. He says, Because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. This is Paul saying, You know our words weren't just words. Our words came with power. They came with conviction. The the apostles had conviction. Paul, Paul, Silas and Timothy had conviction. They brought that with their message. The Thessalonians then took that message up because of the conviction of the messengers and they lived um, lives of conviction. They lived lives that the Holy Spirit's power is evident in. But So this morning I just want to give you four areas or ways from chapter 2 that we might take inspiration from when we're thinking about how can I be authentic as a Christian, how can I make sure my message lines up uh, with my life as the messenger. We can see four areas where Paul uh, showed integrity and authenticity as a Christian. So the first area is in Paul's response to hardship. Uh, If you might remember in Philippi, just shortly before Paul came to Thessalonia, uh, he was he stirred up the Gentiles this time by um, casting demons out of one of their most profitable fortune tellers. They weren't happy about this, so they again um, caused a riot in the city. Paul got um, severely beaten with rods, um, as did Silas. They're thrown into jail. And how did they respond to it? Can anyone remember? Singing, praying, feet in the stocks. Here they are in the middle of the jail. Uh, Here they are praying and singing hymns to God. And so when Paul came to Thessalonia, it's a a fair chance that he still had open flesh wounds on his body. Um, If you read 2 Corinthians 11, you see this list where Paul again in a different church at a different time is defending his ministry against false apostles, against false messengers and he says I've got the marks in my body, I've got the scars of authenticity I've been beaten with 39 lashes five times, I've been beaten with rods three times I've been stoned once, I've been in danger everywhere I go from my own people, from Gentiles, from bandits, from wild animals I've been shipwrecked and floating around in the ocean. Paul has authenticity because he says, if I just saw, if I say I saw Jesus on the road to Emmaus, if I say I had this vision of Christ and he spoke to me, but suffering comes my way and I turn, turn away from Christ, it's obvious the vision wasn't real. Why would you go through so much suffering if your message is false? And for us, we may not experience the same suffering that Paul has But we do experience hardship, we do experience difficulty, we do experience suffering in our life and persecution. How we respond to that is a great way of demonstrating whether our hope really is in Christ, our security really is in Christ, our joy really is in Christ, or whether actually it's in the security and comforts of this world. I attended a funeral this week for a six-year-old boy. He was so young, actually born on the day of our wedding, And his death is so deeply painful for his parents and his three small brothers. 
came out of the blue, became sick on a Friday, had passed away by Tuesday. Parents didn't know what was wrong, couldn't fix it. This funeral, it was a large funeral, had balloons and his parents thanked God throughout their tears for the beautiful gift of this little boy and for his simple trusting faith in Jesus. What an encouragement and witness to see them affirm their faith in God despite their pain. I knew their parents quite well and just to see how they're holding up, how they're anchored in Christ, it's been a huge encouragement to me and a great witness to others. You see, our response to persecution, pain, suffering or difficulty often presents the greatest opportunity to demonstrate the reality of our faith to others. So when people attacked Paul and his credibility, his integrity, his authenticity, he could point to the scars and say, I've suffered for Jesus. I'm not just in this as a get-rich scheme. I'm not here for personal gain. I'm not here because it feels good and because it's the easiest or best life I can find. I truly, deeply trust in Jesus and this is why I'm prepared to suffer for him. So that's the first area, our response to hardship, hardship and difficulty can be a great way of demonstrating our integrity. So the second area this morning that we see from Paul is his simplicity and humility. Paul ensured that the simple gospel message was heard and that his power didn't come from intellectualism or fancy words or being the smartest being the brightest. His message was that Christ has been crucified for sinners. If you trust him with your life, you can be saved. He didn't overcomplicate it. Of course, he had um, deep teaching as well, but that was his fundamental message. And you see that in 1 um, Corinthians as well, but you see that here. Chapter 1, verse 5, said the kingdom of... Uh, said that Paul didn't come just with talk but he came with power. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 4.20 where it says the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power. Paul says show me someone who's got all the right words, show me whether their life matches up to those words and I'll tell you whether they're going to be effective for Christ, whether they're going to be fruitful for Christ or not. So if our words don't match the message, there's every chance the message won't be effective. In uh, chapter, today's chapter, verse 5, it says Paul didn't flatter people. He didn't butter them up so they'd accept his message. He didn't sugarcoat the gospel message just to make people feel good about themselves. He told them, you guys need to repent. You need to turn away from evil. You need to turn away from your idols. And you need to trust God instead. You can't have both. You need to make a big decision here. He said... I'm not pitching to you that you're going to be richer or more comfortable by following Jesus. He said, you Thessalonians are going to suffer. And they did. He told them the truth. He didn't uh, tell them falsehoods just to get a few extra converts. He told them the real picture, that actually the Christian life is hard work. It's a daily struggle against your own personal um, sinful, sinfulness. It's a struggle against outside forces which will persecute, put you under pressure, um, maybe cause you to suffer. 
And so Paul's simplicity here gave him great credibility because he didn't say something that didn't come true. He didn't um, pitch the Christian life as something that it wasn't. He told the real picture. And then his humility. In chapter 2 verse 7, He says this, As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. Or like a mother uh, nursing her children. And we've, here at Monty, we've got quite a bit of experience with little babies, quite a few new mums. It tends to be a bit of a one-way act of service, doesn't it, with little kids? They might give you the occasional smile, which makes it worthwhile. Sometimes they just scream for eight months. The point of it is that when you're a mother caring for a little child, it's pretty sacrificial service. It's pretty one way. There's nothing that the baby's contributing back. And Paul says here that in his humility, he served them just like a, a nursing mother cares for her little child. He wasn't looking for fame or a big name for himself. He says that they were like little children. I'm trying to find where it says that. I've got the wrong verse here. So in um, Paul's humility, he didn't come in as, I'm a big apostle, Um, I've seen the risen Christ, I've been appointed as a divinely appointed messenger for Jesus Christ, Um, I've been authenticated by all the uh, elders and so on at the Jerusalem church. They came in as brothers and sisters in Christ. How can we encourage you? How can we challenge you? How can we comfort you in your suffering? Look at my wounds. Um, I've suffered too. Let me give you a hug. Um, They were authentic authentic, uh, because of their humility and simplicity. And so when I think about my witness for Jesus, when I think about um, when I try and tell people who don't know Jesus about Jesus and think about on all the conversations I've had, it's probably no surprise but the best conversations I've had have been the ones where I keep it simple and are really humble about how I present Jesus to them. They're the ones where I look at, I don't get caught up in um, intellectual arguments, I just talk about the heart issues that are really going on in a person's life and I keep it simple. When I have got into debates about whatever it is, um, theological or um, atheism or lots of things, I'm not saying those debates don't need to happen, but oftentimes if you get sucked into the intellectual argument, it'll be a lot less effective than if you simply bring it back to what Jesus has done in your life and how he's impacted on you. So the second area I think that Paul demonstrated integrity was in his simplicity and humility, demonstrating what God had done for his life and his passion to share that with others as a result, knowing himself as the chief of sinners and then out of that humility expressing that God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. So the third area this morning 
then I think we can see Paul's authenticity uh, and his integrity in Christ is in the area of his generosity. Chapter 2 verse 9, Paul says, Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. And this, the original language here conveys the sense that Paul was always up before dawn and always working till after dusk. This was someone who, while serving the church, while teaching the church, while administering all that pastoral care, was still burning the candle at both ends. He was a tent maker, uh, made tents probably for the Roman army uh, and he was doing that on the side. It actually says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7 that Paul refused to eat someone's food if he didn't pay for it. So he was a stickler for saying, I don't want, you, I don't want to be a burden on, on you as a church and also I don't want someone down the track saying, yeah, Paul's just the latest TV evangelist out to make a quick buck so that he can buy yet another private jet. Paul worked hard night and day so that people couldn't say that about his ministry. No one could accuse him of trying to be in it for a dollar because they made their money to support themselves so that they wouldn't be a burden so that they could minister and to not give fuel to these uh, to the enemies that they had. And I think a generous and hospitable spirit speaks very loudly for Christ. In contrast, if you see a really stingy Christian, someone who's tight-fisted, someone who's very selfish, how many of you have seen someone like that and said, I just wish I could be more like that person? If only I could be a little bit more stingy, a little bit less hospitable, save all my food and all my resources, all my time for myself. The fact is that someone who's generous is very attractive to us, someone who is hospitable and gives freely of their resources. It's very appealing to us and we've got to go, we want to know, hey, why do you do that? Why are you like that? I want to be like that. And it might not be money. We don't all have loads of money. It could be your time, your skills, your practical support at a hard time. We've got lots of um, mums with fairly young babies and probably more on the way. Make a meal. Someone's having a hard time. Um, this family I spoke about before with the, the six-year-old's funeral, they've been flooded by support and it's meant so much to them. Uh, meals and flowers and offers for help and support. They'll need that for weeks and months and years. And uh, for me personally, um, Maz and I know all our neighbours around us. Uh, we love handing out our veggies and eggs from the chooks um, and goodies where we can. Uh, I really believe that if we become as generous as God wants us to be, opportunities to share our faith in Christ will just flood through the door. Um, I think we st- when we stick in our own world, not taking risks, uh, not being generous, it uh, strangles the opportunities that might come our way. I know of some children that live in a big high-rise building in the city on Latrobe La- La Street and it's like a 20-storey building. These, these small children heard a message about being good neighbours, about being um, salt and light to the world and so they said to their parents, we want to make biscuits for everybody in this building. 
So the parents are like, okay. The children did that. They baked these biscuits. Don't know how many hours it took. Quite a few. They went to every single floor in the building distributing biscuits to each house. Well, the amount of opportunities to get to know their neighbours, the amount of opportunities to have conversations about why they did that was enormous. Weeks later, months later, their parents would bump into someone in the lift core and they'd be like, how are your children going? So don't ever underestimate what your kindness, what your generosity can do as a witness to the authenticity of your faith. God's been generous to us, yeah? As we speak that generosity to others and, and give generously, um, we witness to our generous God. So the third area, uh, Paul's generosity with his time, with his money, uh, with his heart to the Thessalonians was a great witness to them of his integrity and his faith. That it was real for him, that he had real love because he showed it with his hands and feet. Finally, uh, the final area that I want to leave with you this morning um, is from chapter 2, verse 10 onwards. And Paul says this, You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. You are witnesses of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. If none of those other points covered it off about Paul's integrity, um, this kind of hits the nail on the head for me. He says, your witnesses, tell me if I'm wrong, but your witnesses of how holy, righteous and blameless Paul, Timothy and Silas were when we were ministering to you as a church. It doesn't take much to disprove that statement. If one person in the community can say, hey, you know what, I heard Paul gossiping about so-and-so. Yeah, no, I heard that as well. It doesn't take much mud to be able to disprove a statement like that. And uh, I kind of feel very inadequate when I look at that statement and go and and evaluate my own integrity, my own authenticity and go, okay, uh, if you're with me day in, day out, like these Thessalonians were with Paul, Silas and Timothy, can you say of me, yeah, we we know Rob to be holy and righteous and blameless among us. I'm not asking you to answer that out loud. But it's a real challenge for us, isn't it? When we look at Paul's, Paul's genuine statement and it's not coming from, his, coming from a sense of pride. This is coming from a sense of I want you Thessalonians to be a strong church. I want you to know that faith in Christ is the best decision you've ever made. I want you to know that I genuinely believe everything I've told you. I want you to know that I live just as I've told you. There's no disconnect there. I was holy, righteous and blameless because that's how God's told me to live and that's how I live. I think the challenge for us this morning is to think if, if we're not in that position where people would know us as holy, righteous and blameless, where are those areas that 
we need to work on? Where are those um, maybe holes in our integrity, holes in our consistency, holes in our authenticity that we can address? And I've got plenty of my own that I can um, be working on and are working on each day and I'd ask you to also um, think about some of those areas where maybe your Sunday morning's different to your Monday morning or your ride in the car is different to uh, when you're leading a small group or leading Sunday school or whatever it is. If you're looking for obvious faults and offensive habits in Paul, Silas and Timothy, you just wouldn't find them. Were they perfect? No, they weren't. Did they ever have thoughts that they shouldn't have had? Almost certainly. But would you find them gossiping, talking negatively about someone else? I would say never. Would you find them arguing about unimportant issues, being divisive and unloving in the way they presented them? Never. Did you find them holding a grudge against a brother or sister, playing playing factional power plays in the church community? I'd say never. They weren't divisive or rude. They didn't treat people with contempt or respect depending on how much money they had, how cool they were, how easy to get along with they were. So Paul, Silas and Timothy, we don't have the benefit of knowing them personally. Would we have all got on well with them? Would we have have the occasional personality clash? I'm sure we would. But these were men who, as they served the church community, weren't something different when they were out in the marketplace, weren't something different when they were on the road travelling, tired, when they'd worked all night and then got up the next morning to minister and teach the church. They had lives that matched the message that they had. I recently heard of a man, he's an elder in a church. I'm fairly confident you won't be able to connect the dots so uh, I'm not worried about using this example on that basis. He's an elder in a church but his children don't respect him. Why is that? Why do his children not have much time for him? turns out that while he's got all the right words on a Sunday, on a Monday when he's doing his work, he swears like a trooper, he's got a bad temper and he's never been the kind of man that his children want to, want to model or be like. I've met him and never came across that he wasn't... I met him in Sunday contexts, more than Monday contexts. Never came across that he lived a double life, that his words were meaningless. But such a sad case that someone's message is completely written off. Um, His children, in my mind, one of his most lasting potential legacies one of his most important investments that God gave him to steward, he's largely failed in. And any apparent fruitfulness, any apparent effectiveness for Christ in his life has to be called into question by his lack of integrity. And I pray that I'm not like that. I pray that despite my failings and faults, I'm working hard to become more like Christ. I'm relying on his grace and trusting him to be able to turn a dodgy bloke like me into a slightly less dodgy bloke tomorrow and slightly less the day after. I think you'll probably need about 200 years 
which isn't looking good, with 82 years being the average lifespan. But he will continue to work in me uh, to help me be authentic, to help me have integrity, to help my words and my message at work, at home, at church, to come out of the same heart of love for Jesus, the same consistent life um, lived for Jesus. I'm going to pray for all of us because it's hard to have integrity but there's a number of areas we've looked at this morning where Paul showed integrity, his response to difficulty and suffering in his simplicity and humility, his generosity and finally his conduct, his overall conduct. Let's pray that God can help us have integrity in these areas. Dearest Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the example of Paul. He was no angel, no superhuman, no super spiritual being blessed by anything that none of us have access to. He was a man who was heading in a terrible direction, persecuting the church, trying to destroy the church. And you turned him around in a powerful way, Father. And you made him a man of integrity, a man whose message lined up with his life as the messenger and how powerful it was spread the church throughout the known world churches popping up everywhere Christianity went from being one man, twelve men five thousand people, ten thousand people a million people and Father you've chosen to use the Apostle Paul in our lives in all of our lives as Christians but also to the Thessalonians. Father, one reason that Paul was effective by your grace was because he he genuinely lived the truth he taught. Help us, Father, to live the truth that we teach, to live the message that we hold out to others, to first know love, grace, peace, holiness, righteousness ourselves before trying to spread it to anyone else. There's so much potential, Father, so much power that you can use in a life that's truly lived for you, that's surrendered to you. And on the opposite end of that, Father, so often our fruitfulness and effectiveness as Christians can be really limited if our integrity is not what it should be, if our words don't match our actions. Help us all, Father, as we aim for lives of integrity but as we battle day by day with the habits or struggles that we have. Help us as a community to be honest with each other, transparent, not put up masks and pretend we're all perfect. Help us to hold each other accountable. Help us to challenge each other. Help us to love each other, support each other as we all struggle and strive to become more like Jesus both individually and and as a community. Help us in the areas we looked at this morning. Help us in our response to hardship. Help us in humility and simplicity. Help us in our generosity with our neighbours, workmates, family and friends. And help us with our overall life, Father, our conduct, so that there's no glaring black holes in our witness as a Christian 
not even not glaring black holes, Father, but we want to be blameless. It's a big, it's a big, it's a big bar, Father, big expectation, a high bar, and we ask that you help us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.